Hey, I'm Veronica Jans, and I'm obsessed with backends, specifically your business backend, your operations. And I'm the CEO and founder of Business Laid Bear. We're a digital operations agency that builds well lubricated and orgasmic operations so that your business is pleasurable, productive, and ultimately profitable. Because when you feel good, everything else feels good too, like your team, your customers, and your bank account. I mean, who doesn't want to consent to that? This podcast gives you the tips, interviews, and mindset shifts on how to run your business and its operations so that it's immensely pleasurable, productive, and profitable. So, ready to whip your business into shape with me? Let's get it on. Hey friend, I'm coming at you with this episode today from a little bit of a different angle than what I usually am doing. I love operations, don't get me wrong, and they are the key to a pleasurable, productive, and profitable business. But something that I also am excitedly passionate about is talking about how to show up in your business in a way that honors you exactly as you are, like 100%. So what I wanted to share with you is a roundtable that I did with my two business buddies, Hayden and Julian where we talk about how to run a business that serves you. And I had such a great time talking with them on LinkedIn that I really wanted to share it with you here. I was so worried about customers and potential clients not wanting to work with me because I was too weird or too left field, like too out there, and that they are more used to like traditional consulting firms. But hey, I proved myself wrong and If I had to run my business any other way than how I'm doing it right now with Business Laid Bare, I would absolutely feel suffocated and that my most important core value in my life, freedom, would totally be so violated. So this is why this is so close to my heart, even though it's not related to operations, but we got to talk about this stuff anyways, because why run a business that you aren't proud of or that brings you immense joy and laughter every day, right? So sit back, enjoy, and I hope you take a lot out of this roundtable that we did together because I am so proud of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Happy Wednesday. I'm super excited to be here with two of my colleagues, Veronica and Julian, who we'll get to meet in just a minute. Um, But just want to thank you for taking the time uh, out of your day to learn a little bit more about yourself, learn a little bit more about your business, uh, and learn a little bit more about how you can build a business that really serves you. So the content today is mostly going to be a conversation. That's why it's called a roundtable, a conversation between myself, Veronica, and Julian. Uh, That said, if while you're watching, you have questions or a comment or something comes up for you, we would love to hear from you uh, while we're in this conversation. So please feel free to pop any of those in the comments. We'll be able to bring it up on screen and uh, interact with you that way. But the topic today is how to build a business that serves you. Uh, And I think this is really, really important given what's happened over the last year and a half, so much disruption, so much uh, new normal in a sense, and really supporting us in getting clear on how do we create a business for ourselves that actually serves us versus us being slave to it or having to serve it. 
And uh, we've got a panel here of folks who are experts in very different things, uh, which you'll hear about here in a second. Um, so I think it's going to be a really great conversation. But I'd love to start off with some introductions. Veronica, if you want to give us a little sense of who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, thanks for having me. So my name is Veronica Jans. I am the CEO of Business Laid Bear. We focus on creating well-lubricated and orgasmic operations for high-growth businesses so that that next level of growth for them is even more pleasurable, productive, and ultimately profitable because we are not here to run an expensive hobby. So anything that has to do with business systems, standard operating procedures, automations, things that support the engine of our business, that is our operations, is what gets us all hot and bothered. So yeah, that's I would say that's the quick one about me in a small nutshell today. Yes. How about you, Julian? Well, thanks for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. My name is Julian Recasine. I'm a uh, struggling hair farmer as well as a sales consultant. And uh, what I do is work with uh, companies large and small on being able to craft a uh, an outbound or outward uh, aimed sales approach that's focused on navigating around the human defense mechanisms. If you think about most of the time when you're being called on by somebody in a sales interaction, it's typically not an enjoyable or it, it creates a lot of defenses, defense mechanisms, and people typically have fears. And so I teach people how to navigate around those things, leveraging human behavioral science so they can have quality, find a fit or don't find a fit conversation with their potential customers and not have it feel like it's a manipulative or, you know, you're hunting people or, you know, all the negative, uh, all the negative connotations that get easily associated with sales. Thanks for being here, Julian. And lastly, my name is Hayden Humphrey. I am first and foremost an uplifter. So really my whole game in life is supporting people in breaking up with the script so that they can step into fully becoming the creator of their own life. More tactically, I work as a leadership coach. So I support purpose-driven solopreneurs uh, to create more time, energy, and freedom in their business. So this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. I'm very excited to jump into the conversation. And where I thought we could start is, you know, this idea of building a business that serves you can mean different things to different people. So I'd be curious to hear from everyone I'll share as well. What does building a business that serves you actually mean to you? Okay, I can go first. So this is something that's very near and dear to my heart, because if I did not build a business that served me, and we can go into a little bit more of that, what that means, like I would just absolutely not show up. I would feel completely trapped and just not able to show up and serve. And by building a business that serves me, that means that I have to, and my clients have to see that I am a hundred percent who I am. And if you've just met me, my branding is absolutely kink and sex positive. And how we've blended that into an operations perspective seems almost natural because it's exactly who I am. So nothing feels forced. Nothing feels inauthentic. It's all about making sure I have fun. And who I am online is exactly who I am in person. So if you hear me throw out puns or double entendres, that's exactly who I am offline too. And to never have to split that personality into two means that I am showing up and honoring myself 100%. And the fact that my clients love this, like, who would have thought that this was possible? So this just means the world to me that I can build a business that serves me so that it brings me joy. I love that answer. Um, mine is a little less, I guess it's more um, pragmatic at its core, my approach to this. I, you know, I, I look at most people leave their job and start a business because they find themselves dissatisfied with hating 40 hours of their week or 45 hours of their week in order to put food on the table and a roof over their heads. 
And so what do they do? They start a business and very quickly lose control of that business and now find themselves trapped again in their own business. When in fact, you know, the, the main advantage of being an entrepreneur and starting your own company is the freedom to be able to make decisions so that your business isn't 48 out, 40 hours of your week that you hate. Yeah, you're putting food on the table. Yeah, you're occasionally doing specific activities that you may not love. But overall, you're guiding your day in what you spend time doing, earning a living as something that fulfills you, not something that you're trading your hours for a paycheck. And I think that's why a lot of people get into entrepreneurial pursuits. And sadly, they spin out of control. They, they you know, Those take over and they find themselves trapped by a job again, when, when the whole reason they started a company was to not be trapped by a job, right? So I, I look at it very much as, as that sort of logical pursuit of what was my mission for starting my own business. And it was tied to, I didn't want to work for other people anymore for a variety of reasons, but the main one being trapped. I, you know, My last actual job situation, I got laid off three times in 18 months. And after the third layoff in 18 months, I went, I am never going to be in this position again. I am never going to be in a position again where somebody can take away what I do for a living with one meeting and sitting down. I'm going to gain some control of that. And if you accept that control piece, then why not control the fun stuff? You know, you jumped into it to control things, control the fun stuff, the joy that you should get, the fulfillment that you should get out of doing something that you love. Yeah, I love that, Julian. I think that's so important. You know, so much of the work that I do with people is supporting them and understanding where are you doing the things that you think that you're supposed to be doing or that you've been told that you're supposed to be doing. And I think from uh, like a work ethic perspective, quote unquote, there's this very puritanical idea, uh, I think, especially in the US around how work is supposed to go. And so much of that is like, hey, if you're not, you know, hustling all the time every day, if you're not struggling, if you're not suffering, then you're not doing enough. And it's, you know, it's not going to be successful. And while there are definitely times, you know, especially in the beginning stages of building a business that it might require a little bit more from you, I think the, the conversation that we're in is one of, it's a future orientation. It's where are we headed? How do we create something and be intentional about starting to construct an architect a business that really works for us where we don't have to work 40 hours a week if we don't want to, you know, and the cool thing now is I, you know, continue to meet these incredible lifestyle entrepreneurs, people who are working 10, 5, 20 hours, maybe a week, um, because they've really intentionally constructed their life and their business in that way. And I really loved what you shared, Veronica, as well. This is one of the main reasons why I just love collaborating with you is I think you're such an incredible example of this, like building a business that feels like it's an authentic representation of who you are. It's not easy. It requires a level of vulnerability. It requires a level of courage because it's scary to put yourself out there in that way. It's scary to bring those parts of yourself and, you know, put them up on display and ask people in a sense to invest with you, you know, because of those things. But I also think like that is the, that's the goal. And, and I think so many of that's what some, you know, so many of us are actually looking for is like, Hey, how do we create a life in a business where we don't feel like we have to be anybody else except ourselves? And in a sense, we are successful. We are, you know, creating a financial stability and wealth because of who we are at the core. I think that's really, really important. I love that. Yeah. So the main core values that I have in my life are freedom, joy, and integrity. And so I learned that if to discover what your core values are to begin with, it's like, have you ever thought of a time where you were absolutely really, really happy and ecstatic and just like want to cry with positive tears? And then on the flip side, have you thought of a time where you were so angry and so enraged? It's like when you have these polar opposite emotions, you know, those are when your core values are either activated in a positive way or violated. And so 
when I set upon building my business, I was like, I need to feel free. If I don't feel free, like you said, Julian, I will feel trapped. If I do not find myself experiencing joy, I might as well not work so hard and just work half like, you know, half the joy, maybe double the the income and go work at a job, right? And that's like, but that's not who I am. That doesn't feel like someone who values integrity would say. So it's like, one of the ways that I was able to find a business that serves me, no matter if it's who my ideal client is or what my offers are, I always looked back at what my core values are in life and in business and towards other people. I, I love that piece about integrity. And I, that's so key to it because if you're, if you're not respecting that, then you're selling out. And so then what's the difference between having your own business or working for somebody else? If you're selling out, you're selling out. And you know, I think we all know a lot of people who make a ton of money and have a quote unquote great job. Who are miserable, right? We know we know a lot of those. They're miserable. They're trapped, and it's because they've sold out that integrity piece, and they know they've sold them out. So they, it's harder to be genuine in front of their customers and their clients. That's the people who look up at the end of a career and go, "Okay, so I I have a lot more zeros in my bank account than if I'd made some different decisions. I got a lot of toys that I've never gotten to play with. I missed out on my kids' childhood or on you know birthdays and other things in my family and, and on travel and, and things like that. But I'm I'm not happy. Those zeros aren't just going to make you happy unless they're fulfillment. And and that ties into I think a mistake that's made often is people try to build a billion dollar business before they actually try to build a business that makes them happy. And it's like you know you're not a failure if you're not the next Mark Zuckerberg. There aren't that many Mark Zuckerbergs out there who built a business of that size. But if you build a business that pays your bills and you're fulfilled, there's a lot of people with Mark Zuckerberg money that wish they could buy that fulfillment from you if it was for sale. Right? That's huge, Julian. Thanks for sharing that. And I totally agree. You know, it's so funny. I ran a podcast last year called the Paid to Be Me podcast. And it was really focused on lifestyle entrepreneurship. And that was one of the main reasons why um, I started it was helping people understand that, you know, especially when it comes to business, I think there's this idea that, oh, if I'm not scaling, if I'm not huge, you know, if I'm not building this huge billion dollar business, then I'm doing something wrong versus like, hey, you know, to Veronica's point, like, let me start with what's important to me. Like, let me start with my values. Let me start with, you know, the experience of life that I want to be having in that freedom and then actually design backwards from there. Versus trying to form fit in because I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up is, you know, you start a business, it starts working, um, or you're trying to make it work. And you're not intentionally looking at like, hey, how am I designing again, how am I designing or architecting this to be in service of my lifestyle? versus feeling like, oh, the only way forward is to continue to build how I've already built to this point. Right. And I think this is actually a really interesting segue too, you know, in talking about business models, because I'm sure you all have gone through multiple iterations of your offerings and, you know, how you work with people. And so I'd be curious to hear from y'all, like, how do you know, or how did you know the kind of business model that best fit your personality and felt like it was a business model that really lit you up and served you? Huh. You know, for me, I focused around the activity that I like doing the best. So I went through a pretty standard path. I went, you know, got a college degree, went into the business world. You know, the one place where they always accept people with no real skills, but a lot of enthusiasm is sales, right? So I, I naturally kind of gravitated. Got uh, I interviewed at a newspaper for a writing job and I showed up on that Monday and they were like, here's a rate card, go sell some apps, right? I mean, that was essentially like the beginning of my official, you know, sales career. And then I went through this being a sales rep and being a sales manager and started training some other people. 
And when I started building my business, I focused around the activity that I loved the best. And what I loved the best was the mix of being on stage and coaching and mentoring people. It was more satisfying to me to watch somebody else succeed off of my instruction or guidance than it was for me to actually go out and close some of those contracts myself. And you know, most people in sales, your top paid salespeople in a sales organization are not the managers or the trainers, it's the top salespeople. It's actually a pay cut to go into leadership, but people do it because either they think it's the career path or in my case, because I loved it. And so the model started off of, I just want to do more of this. How do I go find more of doing this? And and because this is the piece where I, I don't have to pull myself out of bed early in the morning on a day where I'm training. You know, I set the alarm for like six and I'm wide awake at 5.15 and already getting up and getting ready to go because I know today is going to be one of the fun days. It's going to be one of the days where I get to do what I really love, right? Put me in a room full of like 20 to 150 salespeople. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm glad that I get paid to do it. But if I'm honest, I probably would do it even if they didn't pay me. Right? I just, I just really love that piece of it. So I built my model around the portion of the day, the activity, the behavior that I loved doing. And then I just followed it into find the ability to be able to do that. What's okay. So for me, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. And this last iteration where I burned my business to the ground has been my most successful iteration yet. So I started in the startup world because going to school at Stanford and being in Silicon Valley, all that good stuff, like I saw what it was like to hustle and most importantly to grind, like grinding was a badge of honor and that just never felt right to me. So then I was like, how do I go into and see I'm a storyteller. So how do I go into business for myself without having to sacrifice my integrity again, my freedom, like grinding 12, 15, 16 hours a day, it's, it's not me. So then I discovered the online business world, which apparently is something that's like really foreign to a lot of people. And the first thing that I saw because I bought into all of this was like, oh, build something once like an e-course and sell it over and over again to like limitless financial potential, right? You build it once and you don't have a ceiling as to how much money you can make. And when I followed those things that the influencers back then told me, I was like, I realized that things felt really transactional. Like I've tried the e-course, I've tried the membership sites and nothing ever felt fulfilling. Like it just felt super transactional and I would rather have just refunded people their money. And then one day I took this thing called the Gallup Strengths Finder Strengths Assessment thing. And apparently... According to the results, my number one skill, my number one strength is this thing called relator, meaning I can build and crave meaningful and deep relationships and can build those rather quickly to be able to build relationships one-on-one with people and to make things understandable, that relation part. I was like, oh, maybe this is where I will shine is instead of these models where it's one-to-many, it's one-to-one for me. And it's according to the internet business influencers and people who have made it big, it's like the worst business model because it's the least scalable. But at the same time, it's like, well, I'm fulfilled and I'm really happy and I get to build those relationships with clients. And to me, it's always been quality over quantity. So that's why I have my business model the way I do right now. We're adding different areas of revenue streams, of course. So it's not all eggs in one basket, but the main moneymaker, the main offer we have are all one-on-one work because that's what fulfills me. And hey, I want to point out one thing, call attention to one thing that Veronica said, because I think it's an essential shift in this journey, which is going from selling your time to selling your expertise. When you can make the transition from trading hours for dollars to trading knowledge or expertise for hours, that's the first step to freeing yourself from this rat race. 
so that Veronica can plan around what that expertise is, not just an hour of her time. And that was the first, and so you know, a lot of people make that scalable first step that she described. I've had a lot of pressure to put online courses and stuff like that. And so far I've resisted it. I think coming from the same place, Veronica, right? It's like, okay, but that's not as much fun as actually getting to interact with people, right? So like, yay, I sold a video today compared to, yay, I'm in a training today. But that's the first step that you have to make is figure out what passion drives what expertise? So that can be, that's what you sell. You're not treating your hours of labor. You're treating your expertise. And in the age that we live in, it's easier to do than it ever has been, which is wonderful, but it's still a mental shift that a lot of people have a hard time making, right? They're like, well, I can't charge $1,500 for this because that's only an hour. It's $1,500 an hour. That's And you go, you're solving a $2 million problem at $50,000 for that hour. That's a great value to your customer, right? Stop looking at it on how long it takes you. Start looking at it at how long it would take them to try to duplicate that expertise because that's really where their value is coming in. And understanding that is a monumental shift. So I want to call attention because the way Veronica said it, it, it just, it pinged in me when she said that. I was like, that's right. It's it's about that shift. That's the first thing that you have to be able to turn to be able to free yourself from the rat race concept. Agreed. Totally agree, Julian. I don't remember wh- whose quote it is, uh, but there's the quote around, you know, you get paid in direct proportion to the size of the problems that you solve. Right. And uh, in that model, it's not how many hours you work. It's not how hard you're working. It's what's the size of the problem that you're solving. And if you can start to cultivate that level of mastery and awareness of, hey, here's the knowledge, here's the value, here's the expertise that I'm bringing to the table, it makes it way easier then to look at how do I want to deliver it? Um, Because I think in in this conversation around how do you build a business that serves you, it's this concept of configuration. There's a lot of different ways to configure how you deliver that expertise, how you solve those problems. Step one, you know, to Julian's point is getting clear on like, hey, what is that knowledge? What is that expertise that I can bring? What are those problems that I'm solving? And then starting to pay attention to, you know, Julian, what you said earlier around, hey, what are the things that really like, like what are the what are the different aspects of what I'm doing that I feel give me a lot of energy versus drain energy from me? And then looking yeah. at how can I do more of those more consistently? Um, I think another really cool way to approach it, similar to what Veronica said, is like, being intentional about, hey, how can you start to understand and pay more attention to what are my strengths? What are my strengths? What are those things that I do extremely well that I do better than everyone else? And how can I start to build a business around that? Because the value is if you're showing up at your best and brightest and clearest and most energetic, that is going to have the highest amount of impact on the people that you're serving. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Money's an abstract concept, right? I mean, you say that to people and they go, well, that's not really true. I mean, a gallon of milk is a gallon of milk. And, and you go, okay, well, is $1,000 a lot of money? And if you ask 10 people in a room to raise their hands, you'll get different response. But if I say, is it is $1,000 a lot of money for a Diet Coke? Every hand's going to go up. And if I say, is $1,000 a lot of money for a brand new Nissan Sentra? No hands are going to go up. So the money itself is not the issue. It's the abstract value of what you're exchanging, for, right? I mean, that's otherwise... We're talking about little pieces of paper and little pieces of metal. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. We're talking about money, right? You have to look at the abstract value of it. That's the only place it gets its value. Yeah, 100%. So Hayden, you've asked us about our business models. Tell us about yours. Like what lights yes. you up about how you run your business? Yeah. So the thing that I love most about my business and serving clients is I get to act as a conduit to a totally different future. 
Meaning when people are in conversation with me, I really don't care about how things have gone. And in a way, I don't really care about how things are going. What I care most about is how do you want it to go? What's the experience that you want to create for yourself? We get to be in this really cool, different, limitless type of conversation around what you want to design. Because I think that one of the things that keeps people stuck in serving their business is feeling as though there is a specific way that it has to go. This is how I get clients. This is how I serve clients. This is how I package my knowledge. This is how I do pricing, whatever the story is. And until you start to assess and reassess those basic assumptions that you have around how you're building your business and how you're serving people, you will be beholden to those assumptions. You will be stuck inside of, in my language, those scripts, those stories around how things are supposed to go. And so it's so fun to be able to, and I have a one-to-one practice, that's the main way that I work with people, um, be able to be in a conversation with someone and they're, they're sharing about why it's going this way and why it has to go this way. And to be able to stand outside of the story as a third party and say, but does it? <laughs> like, but does it? You know, and is there a way that you could do this or reorient or reconfigure to create something that feels like it's, it's more in service of you? And that, like being able to support people in understanding it doesn't have to go the way that it's gone. Like for me, that is like, that's where I get all my juice. A slayer of limiting beliefs. Right? Yes. Sir. Or head trash is the Sandler. Sandler is the great sales system that I've worked with closely. And they call that head trash, right? Which I, I mm. love the term head trash because it's it puts it where it belongs, right? In a trash bag ready to be taken out to the curb and thrown away, right? Get rid of this stuff. It's head trash. And yeah, I, I bet I could see how you would get a lot of satisfaction on being able to open up people's limiting beliefs. So the self-imposed limiting beliefs that they have in most cases. Yeah. But those but those inner gremlins, man, are so strong. How do you both maintain that that vision to do what it is that fulfills you without constantly wondering if it's like the right thing? Well, it's a good question. And it's, it's actually a really key question, right? And to me, the, the understanding is how the belief wheel is powered. So you, you, you have a lot of people, if you, if you look at kind of beliefs and actions, right, in a circle and how they, and, and you can insert other things like judgments in there. But if you start to look at that circle and you ask most people, where does it start? If I want to change one of them, which one do I change first? Most people will tell you, well, change what you believe in, and then your course of action will change. And that's actually wrong. It's really hard to change your beliefs in a vacuum, in an abstract. What you need is to change your actions. Translate it, right? Have faith and faith shall come to you or fake it until you make it. Start to act like you are what you are. My first client in sales consulting had no idea they were my first client. They had no possible way to understand that they were my first client because the entire conversation, because I had been trained well enough by other people, my course of action made it look like this was a run of the mill thing. And inside I was going, Oh, I'm going to get them right. Oh, I'm going to. And what happens now is that now typically the conversation in my head is these guys are a client. They just don't know it yet. These guys are a client for me. They're just, they just don't know it yet. And so that belief that, right, is that statement changes my actions. And so then my beliefs come in in an alignment to that. And and I think that's the key. And it comes down to who you expose yourself to. If you sit around a bunch of people who tell you you can't do it, you have a few contrarian personalities that that's jet fuel for. But for the most of us, that's actually really deflating and you can't get it done. And this is why people on the roles that you're both playing, I guess I'm a coach too, but I'm, I'm, you know, I consider myself a consultant more than a coach, right? But this is why I'm sure, Hayden, you have times where you tell somebody something and they're like, oh my God, it was right in front of me this whole time. How did I not see this? But because it took that outside perspective, 
without all that head trash to be able to free that line of thought. And then it, then that becomes like jet fuel. They react to it and they're, and, you know, and, and they're off to the sky. Right. And so to me, it's making sure that you're, you're reinforcing those things and that you're pop and then just start acting it out. If I start acting mm-hmm. like somebody who's focused on health, then I'm focused on health. If I start acting like somebody who's gets up early, right? You want to be good at getting up early, get up early. That's how you do it. You start getting up early on a regular basis. And eventually you look up and you go, I'm a person that gets up early. That's who I am now, Mm -hmm. right? That my belief came from the action of being able to do it, not the other way around. Totally. Yeah. It really reminds me of James Clear in Atomic Habits, where he talks about, you know, what creates the the most lasting change. And it's that it's the identity level change. Like I am the person who does, you know, this or that. Yeah. The copy um, book isn't called the seven beliefs of highly effective people. It's called the seven habits of it first. So agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And, um, you know, Veronica, to your question around, you know, how do you how do you maintain that vision? You know, I think for me, it's understanding and we've said this in a couple of different ways, but um, that kind of change doesn't happen in a vacuum and it doesn't happen by yourself. You are and I've had to learn this the hard way. You are destined to underperform unless you are partnering with other people who can support you in reminding you what you are committed to, reminding you what your vision is, reminding you how great you are, because it's so easy to get sucked into the, I can't do this. I don't trust myself. This is never going to work, you know, et cetera, et cetera, kind of mindset. And unless you are partnering with someone who is supporting you and seeing that and stopping that and saying, Hey, it doesn't have to go that way. We can actually have it this different way. You're more likely to stay there. So I think for me, the biggest thing has been investing in myself. It's been investing in my own development. I've worked with a coach every week for the last four years. And I've been involved in communities with other people who are up to, you know, really amazing, incredible, you know, different things. And so, you know, I think the biggest piece around how do you maintain that vision, especially when it comes to building a business that serves you, because it's unlikely to look like what other people have built before if you're doing it, if you're doing it right. It's about being around other people who are on that same journey, who to Julian's point will give you that positive feedback, who will affirm you, who will celebrate your wins with you. It's not about doing it yourself. It's about doing it in relationship and and doing it in community with others. I love it. I mean, the hype squad is crucial, especially for the days that you do not believe in yourself as much as they believe in you. And so that's when you need that little pick me up, like entrepreneurship is one of the craziest like personal development journeys you can go on. Like you can feel this positive, negative, like wave of emotions, highest of highs, lowest of lows. And I've done this myself, like even within the first hour of the day, right? So it's like to not do this in a vacuum is absolutely helpful for your mindset. Like a lot of people feel like mindset, at least what who I've talked to is kind of like a solo game, like you have to work on your own mindset, but it's like not necessarily you need the support. We're not meant to do this by ourselves. So have other people to help make working on your mindset a lot smoother and easier, and especially when you need that pick me up. So that has been the biggest one, at least for me, is not doing it by myself. Because I've had so many people tell me, they're like, hey, you shouldn't be doing your business like this. You could be making so much more money because there's a lot of management consulting, operations consulting groups, like the big four, right? Like the Boston group, all those, you know, and they're like, well, you can get a fraction of that money if it was easier for people to come work with you. But I'm just like, if you don't honor who I am and if I don't honor who I am, I don't know if making a ton of money is going to be fulfilling. So there are tons of people who have said, maybe you need to tone that kink down a little. 
And well, Hayden has told me, especially going on LinkedIn, he's like, you should actually tone that kink up because LinkedIn is a place where I assume it's like people are more professional, more buttoned up because it's like my profile picture, like say on LinkedIn is different than on Facebook or Instagram. But he's like, just show up. It's going to be great. So like, I constantly need that reminder too, because it is a very vulnerable act. And that screws with your mindset sometimes. And that wouldn't be true if it was a gimmick. It wouldn't, the kink thing wouldn't be true if it was a gimmick. The reason it's true, it's because it's genuine. It's who you are, right? So when you run into somebody that responds to it, you have a match of core beliefs that's happening. And you're already three quarters of the way towards having an agreeable interaction or a potential client situation with that person. Because if you were doing it as a gimmick, it wouldn't work. People would see oh, through it. Most people would see through it. You'd have, you know, always got the 10% of suckers that'll fall for it, right? But the rest of the other 90% would see through it and it would be like, eh, this is gimmicky. This is not. If you think about some of the famous people that you know, I mean, like, do any of us have any doubt that Jim Carrey is a goof in real life as an example? I mean, does it seem like a shtick or a gimmick? Or do you know he goes around the house like doing funny voices? Robin Williams, same thing, right? Do we think Robin Williams sits at home with a cigar with an English accent, sipping sherry, saying, well, that's not quite appropriate? Of course not, right? We knew when he was alive, he was probably like, his kids were probably like, oh my God, get this guy under control, right? But that's why he was, that's why you couldn't take your eyes off of him when he was on the screen. That's why he was so compelling because it was so genuine. And I think that that tapping into that genuine thing there's an exercise I do with a lot of my clients, which, you know, feel free to steal it because it's a great, you know, it's a great exercise to do with clients. Ask them to take a blank piece of paper and ask them, imagine a potential customer and write down two or three core beliefs that you have to agree on with that person for them to be a viable customer for you. And that simple exercise of defining that idea gets people to say, this is what I'm about. I get it now. These are the core beliefs. And they start looking for those right away. And if they don't have them, they go, this isn't a good client for me. And they're able to make that, you know, and spin off. And when they run into somebody like that, they're not worried about, oh, am I, you know, am I being formal enough on my LinkedIn profile? Am I, because they know the connection is genuine. And so the little stuff just doesn't matter at that point because it's a genuine connection. That's such a great point. Like I didn't even think about like the gimmick part because that's not who I am, right? This is a hundred percent through and through who I am. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, this brand that I've built creates a lot of polarity. You either love me or you're running the opposite way. And being in that middle ground of like one foot on one side and one foot on the other doesn't really work with me. Like I would rather be around people who genuinely want to be in my company. Oh God, that sounds weird. But basically you don't want people who are just like, uh, I think I like you. I don't know if I like you, but I'm just going to be here just in case. It's like, you're either fully in or fully out. And that's just been who I am because I go back to quality over quantity for me. So thank you for that reminder. And that aligns perfectly with sales science. Just so you know, sales science is about get them to a yes or a no and move them off of maybe. And so you're doing that naturally by selecting and and being I don't want to say controversial, but let's say disruptive, right? You're being disruptive in a particular, you know, ecosphere. And guess what? That's great because people make a decision very quickly. Yes or no. I'm in or I'm out. I relate to this person or I don't. And you're not wasting a lot of time and energy on chasing clients that don't relate to you. So moving them to a yes or a no and away from maybe what you're doing aligns perfectly with sales science. That's probably why it's working, right? Because it, it applies to the sales science of my, my job is not to get everybody to say yes as a salesperson. My job is to get people to say yes or no because I found a fit or I didn't. That's it, right? And and the maybes, I, I'm going to assume they're people that are just want to say no, but they're being too polite. So, okay. So, you know, that's, I know. that's how I handle it, right? That's why I say like in kink and even in business, like enthusiastic consent from everybody means 
the world. Like, I don't want to maybe like you either want to work with me and are excited and me feeling the same way. Or if there's a hint of doubt or maybe then it's an immediate no. Right. Yeah. I think it's so easy, especially in the beginning stages of a business to feel like, and I know I definitely suffered from this, this idea of, well, I don't want to, you know, I could work with anybody or, you know, I don't want to upset anybody or, you know, what have you. And I really love, you know, what you both shared in this idea of creating polarity, especially if you want to build a business that serves you, where you're working with clients that you really love in the way that you want to work with them. You have to be very clear about the type of people that you're looking to work with and who you want to invest with you. And you have to be willing to put yourself out there or, or create branding, create marketing in a way that attracts those people. Because if you're trying to build a business that serves you, but you're working with clients that you don't really enjoy, it doesn't work. It doesn't ultimately work. So I think there's a level of willingness around, you know, hey, how do I be very clear in, you know, my marketing and how I reach out to people and um, how I qualify people really, um, so that the people that I'm working with are people that I, you know, really genuinely love. And I'd be curious with each of you, you know, when it comes to choosing clients, you know, how do you figure out or how do you start to qualify and understand who are the clients or what's the type of client that I really want to work with? And then perhaps even more importantly, like who are the clients that I should just walk away from? So this has been something that's been on my mind forever. And it's very much, and they don't teach you this in business school. At least I didn't feel like I was taught, but this is such an iterative process. Like that ideal client avatar is always going to evolve. We're always change. And if you thought at one point you were going to work with somebody like me, because operations, you need this from the very beginning. I always feel like operations feels like the middle child where they're just as important, but they're kind of ignored because things like branding and marketing and sales, no offense, Julian, but I'm just saying like <laughs> things that are flashy and pretty get prioritized. And then I always ask my clients like, hey, so what happens when your sales, marketing, branding, everything works together and suddenly a flood of clients knock on your door to work with you? Do you have the operational capacity in the systems to fulfill and serve them? Or are you leaving money at the table and turning them away? So for me, when I started, I was like, I'm going to work with new entrepreneurs because, you know, you have to get it right from the get go. Having good operations from the very beginning of business building is going to serve you so well. However, they did not feel the same way. So I was scraping the bottom of the barrel, like begging people to work with me. And then in turn, questioning if what I was really good at was even something worth being good at. So when you are looking for, or at least when I was looking for the ideal clients, it's like, I got really clear, like pen to paper, who is it that I want to work with and why I want to work with people who are future thinking I'm about to grow or am growing but up to three X my revenue from like, say 10,000 months to $50,000 months. I need better operations than what I have today. Like what got me here won't get me there. So I like that they're future pacing rather than, oh my gosh, my business is a complete hot mess right now. I'm putting out fires every day. I'm exhausted. I'm the bottleneck. So it's like that mindset shift, the things that our potential clients are thinking about matters in the stage of business. So for me, it's about what do I align with? Like I try not to be part of like gossip or things like rumors and stuff or just like the negative side of things. So in my life, so why would I want to lean towards the negative when I could lean towards the positive, because I'm always thinking about the future and of course, enjoying the present, but like, how can I be better? How can I evolve? And so that's how 
I also work with my clients or select them. Like I have a whole entire articulation guide written by my copywriter as to who my ideal client profiles are, what their situations are, what they're thinking, what they desire from us. And it helps me get really clear so that I stay the course and not just like, oh, you have a heartbeat. Let's work together. Yeah. Heartbeat in a bank account, right? Is the, uh, <laughs> you got a heartbeat in a bank account. Check. You qualify as a, as a client. <laughs> so for me, it starts with the matching core beliefs, right? If you believe that sales is a confrontational interaction and it should be that way versus a cooperative one, you're not going to be a client of mine. You're not going to like what I have to teach. It's not even, it's not a question of me approving you and saying, Oh, you're not good enough. You're not, you're going to hate everything I teach. You're going to hate everything I coach. Right. So I'm not going to take that personally. I believe the world is set up this way. You believe something different. We're going to make different decisions based on that. But I can guarantee you one of the decisions you're not going to make is to work with me. So from my perspective, if I match a couple of key core beliefs right out of the gates, I'm already going to disqualify a lot of the people that I should disqualify because it's it's not going to be a fit. And then the other one, I'm, I'll plug right into what you just said, which is motivation for me, right? We know that there's only two forces that impact human behavior, the avoidance of pain and the seeking of gain, right? It's the pain pleasure index is what it's called. It's psychologically in all the books, right? Every action, every decision, every human being makes every day on the planet is motivated by one of those two things. Now, 70% of decisions, if you follow your average human being around for a day, are pain avoidance decisions versus only 30% are seeking gain. In a situation where the decisions are pitted against each other, people will default to avoiding pain 90% of the time over right d- defaulting to seeking gain. So you won't commit to simply stated, you won't get a guy to quit smoking unless he starts to focus on the pain of continuing to smoke. That's what'll get him to stop. It won't, it won't be, oh, you will be in better shape and... The pain of quitting, the pain of giving up the cigarettes and the nicotine addiction will prevent them from quitting until the day where they look and they're in the hospital and they see an uncle or a cousin or a stranger dying of lung cancer and they go, I want to avoid that at all costs. And so now they're going to make a switch in behavior. So to me, since I'm a behavioral coach, at the core of what I do is psychology applied to behavior, people are not going to change their behavior if they're not enough pain. So to me, are we matching core beliefs and are you in pain enough in your current status quo that not necessarily me, not necessarily what I want to teach, but you know you want to do something different. And if I've got those two elements in line, you're probably a good potential client. If either of those elements is missing, we're going to waste each other's time and probably end up annoying each other in the end run, right? So the, the main delineator that I have is on those things. And that's where the integrity piece, back to what you were talking about earlier, c- kicks in. Because if you're matching core beliefs first, you're not going to run into an integrity battle. You're not going to be in a situation where you're like, I can't tell this client the truth because you're willing to walk away from a client that's not matched on the core belief. So you're, you're like, it's okay to admit I, I'm not a fit, right? If we take it to the dating analogy, you go to bars when you're single, you meet people and, and sometimes you meet somebody and go, it's not a judgment. I don't think they're a bad person. We're just not a fit for each other for whatever reason, right? It could be one of us is married. It could be, you know, I only want to date people taller than me. It could be you only want to date people that are under a certain age, whatever it is. It's not a value judgment on the other person. It's just a, it's not a fit because there's a lack of matching core beliefs on, on these essential elements, right? Which is why some couples have, to take politics, for example, some couples have been able to have differentiating political opinions and have very successful marriages because where they rank the politics on the core belief is not high enough that it creates a conflict. And other ones, the first question they ask somebody in a, on a first date is, who'd you vote for in the last election? And if the answer is wrong, there's there's no dessert. Forget about the second date. There's no dessert, right? They, they bail right away because they're ranking that in importance in a different spot. So to me, really, it's those two it's those two uh, levers that I'm pulling on. What about you, Hayden? What do you, what's, your, what's kind of your approach? 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think um, what I've heard thus far, and I think is super brilliant, is really it's like putting pen to paper. It's getting super clear on like, hey, what do what's important to me and how I see the world mm-hmm. in my version of reality? What are the pillars of my reality in a sense? And how do I start to attract people who share those same pillars? So it's being really clear on what those are first and foremost, and then being willing to go out and actually start to qualify or look for, hey, where are these people? And how do I get in touch with them more? And, you know, I think for me, it's been it's really interesting, like my journey with clients and qualifying clients, because I think, uh, especially as a coach, you attract a lot of people who want saving, like you attract a lot of people who are like, hey, I want things to go different. But in reality, like they're not actually willing to do anything different about it. It's a lot of complaining or just wishing it was different. So that's one of the things that I had to get really present to and aware of when I was in conversation with people was listening behind what they were saying and listening to, okay, they're sharing this pain point, but what does their history tell me? Because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So looking at past behavior, are they somebody who is responsible for themselves? Are they willing to take ownership? Are they looking for, hey, what's the solution here versus here are all of the reasons why you know this isn't going to work? And so paying very close attention to how people show up in a conversation and are they genuinely willing to be in a conversation around how things can go different? Because the type of work that I do with people is not necessarily tactical. It's not necessarily like, hey, go implement this system. A lot of the work that I do with people, it has to do with their relationship with themselves. It's the core stories and narratives that you're telling yourself about your life, about the world and about your place in the world. And doing that almost research, doing that discovery, doing that exploration is not comfortable. It requires a a radical degree of ownership because you have to be willing to understand and realize that your life is the way that it is because of the decisions that you've been making whether they were conscious or not. And so you have to, you know, you have to be at that place. And so I've done a lot of work around being more intentional around who I spend time with and looking for those sorts of things in the clients that I let hire me. And also being clear on like, I I also got to be doing my own work. I got to be in integrity with myself. I got to be walking the walk um, and not just talking the talk. And if I'm walking the walk out in the world, if I'm sharing that energy from a place of integrity, from a place of being responsible for my mindset in a place of, you know, wanting to create the things that I want to create, I know that I will attract people who feel that same way. I love that because a lot of my entrepreneurial career when I was trying to make it on my own in the online world was I was playing the victim. I was not taking that responsibility. And someone said this really, really like short, but concise and yet hit me straight in the feels like saying, they're like, are you playing to win or are you playing to not lose? Mm. And I didn't realize that I was one, justifying, complaining, blaming, you know, the signs of playing victim on why I wasn't making money or building a business that served me or thriving. And I was also playing it too small because I didn't want and didn't want to take that ownership of what if this, there was no other option for me. And technically there is no other option because I don't want it to be. Right. And so that was huge in terms of taking ownership and responsibility. So thank you for bringing that up, Hayden, in such an elegant way. And the interesting thing really is all the setup that you go through, right? So that epiphany that you just talked about, about saying some, somebody saying to you, are you playing to win? Are you playing not to lose? You probably heard that in some format or another a couple hundred times, but it took somebody else saying it in a slightly different way for it to get through and cause that epiphany, right? And so it's it's literally the straw that tipped the camel's back and that it broke the camel's back. And that that one statement as, and this is the beauty of what we do being coaches is we are often the ones that are delivering those kinds of statements. 
where people come to you and go, oh my, you said this and it completely changed my sales career. And I'm going, I say that all the time. Like, I'm not the only one that I didn't even, I'm copying that guy who says it, but it doesn't matter because, you know, they're, they're, one of my mentors has a saying, which I love, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. When you're ready as a student of life to hear something, the teacher magically appears in front. They could have been there the whole time, but now you finally <laughs> says, because that that moment. And that's mm-hmm. how great is it to be able on the receiving end of that, but to, to be able to be on the giving end of that is so incredibly fulfilling. Yeah. Like who I was two years ago, even. So like, so 2020 was when I burned down my business because, hey, new decade, new me, I fell for that. But like sales. So we're going to talk about sales. It was the thing I hated the most. Like entrepreneurs, I meet left and right. They're like, I hate sales. I don't want to be sleazy. I don't want to be this. And I I did that because at first I didn't know the value in what I was selling. I didn't trust myself or trust in my offer enough to know how it was going to transform that person's life. Yep. But now there has been such a huge shift mindset wise and also tactics and strategies where it's like sales to me is more just a conversation because it's who I am, that relationship, right? If it's not going to work, I have to adapt that abundance mindset to keep finding people because there are 7 billion people in this world whom are the right alignment because clients who are not the best of clients or who aren't aligned with who you are, they they're stressful. And we all we've all been there, I can assume when you don't have like those perfect clients who makes you anxious, like open your messaging app every day or check your email or work with them or demand life changing results because they paid us X amount of dollars. So yeah, 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 let's talk about mindset shift and ownership. So that's why I was like, I'm going to reinvent, I'm going to change the script on how I do sales. Yeah, because I'm taking ownership of my success. The important piece too that I just want to underline and you know what we've been talking about from a from a client perspective, you know, when it comes to you know building a business that really works for you, I think the the cool part is understanding that people have to be in a certain place in order to get the most value from you. And I think this is why, um, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this too, Julian, from a relationship perspective, why that's so important from in sales not having it be transactional, but instead having it be a relationship. Because you might meet somebody who you know you really love and really enjoy, but they are literally not in a place right now to benefit from working with you. But six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, they might come back to you and say, hey, okay, I'm ready. Like I had a woman that I talked with and she literally called me a year later. I heard nothing from her. She called me a year later out of the blue and she said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> like, let's start working together. So I'm like, okay, cool. You just never know. Like you literally just never know. So paying attention to that, knowing like what's the stage of life or business that somebody needs to be in, in order for me to best serve them, in order to have a really great positive value-driven interaction with them as from a client perspective. And then the people who aren't ready, how do I just nurture that? How do I stay in relationship with them? How do I continue to build you know, that relationship so that down the line when they are ready, we can have a conversation around, hey, how can I support you? Yeah. I think you got to be the truth teller in their lives. I think ultimately that's what people respect. And when people challenge you, we all have that person in our lives. And some of us have more than one and we're incredibly lucky when you've got one, but you're great when you've got more than one, even better, right? That person in our lives that you love and at the same time, they kind of get on your nerves a little bit because they're always the one that call you on your BS, right? Now, a lot of us, I'm not going to name anyone here, me, end up marrying that person, right? Um, Because if you think about it, I mean, from the perspective of a lot of my guy friends, right, especially the ones that were like the ladies men, right, that were like players, like they ended up marrying the girl that called them on all their BS all the time. And they were like, mate, she's on me all the time. But that person pokes them 
tells them the truth. And at some point when you're mature enough to hear it, you value that. So when you challenge, now there's a book called The Challenger Sale, which elicits this concept and it's backed by science. I'm a data-driven you know, coach and consultant. So I really like this book because it's based on a lot of studies. And in The Challenger Sale, what he theorizes is that there's these five archetypes of salespeople and that the most successful ones are the ones he calls the challengers. They're the ones who continue to sell in recession. And so the relationship is really important, but it's not a relationship of me being your bestie and telling you that you're great. Right. It's it's a relationship of calling it out, calling out the truth. I was actually just watching this video this morning. Uh, somebody sent me the video and they were like, hey, you were talking about this the other day. And it was I forget what it is. It's a stand up comedian and his job. He was one of the writers on the show Sex in the City. He was a consultant to the writing staff. And he's the one that ended up writing the book. He's not that into you. Right. He's just not that into you, which was, you know, and he talks about the experience of being in this group of writers. And he, you know, he talks, he's like, there were two gay guys and five women in this group. I was the token straight guy. And at some point, the woman's giving me this. Uh, and I said, I just don't think that guy's that into you. If he didn't, you know, if he didn't want to come up after you invited, I don't think he's that into you. And he said, it was like I had just blown hot lava all over the building when I said that because they already looked at me like end of the world. And to him, it was such a natural truth telling. Like it, it doesn't, he, you know. And his argument, valid one, when you hear him tell the story, is I'm looking at this woman who is a successful writer in Hollywood. Not an easy thing to achieve by itself. Clearly intelligent, beautiful, smart, and yet the rejection of this one person is making her feel like she's not any of those things. And I'm the one in the room who goes, "The emperor's got no clothes on here. This is a bad thought that you're having." And some people aren't ready to hear it. And they won't ever talk to you again. And others will circle back a year later, Hayden, and you'll have the experience where they'll go, you know what? A year ago when I was doing this stupid stuff, you're the only one that told me the truth. You've just moved yourself to the level of advisor now in that relationship because they know you'll tell them the truth, even if it doesn't serve you getting business from them. And you can't buy that kind of trust. There's no way you can buy that. My mortgage broker is my mortgage broker because when I was stupid 25 years ago, I wanted to do this refi on my house. And he said, if you want to do that loan, you need to go somewhere else. I'm not doing that. And I'm like, why? We, well, no, he goes, no, no, I'll make plenty of money on it, but it's not serving. It's a bad business decision. I'm not going to write that loan for you. Well, why would I go anywhere else now? I know that guy will turn down a commission in order to protect my interest as his client. We're not friends. We don't golf together. Our kids don't hang out. We're not friends. He's my, he's my mortgage broker. But the relationship he treated me was to respect and tell me the truth. And I think that's what you experience in that scenario when somebody circles back a year later. What they're telling you is, mm -hmm. a year ago, Aiden, you're the only one who told me the truth. Everybody else let me continue to kid myself about what was going on. You were the one that asked the question that went right to the heart of it. I wasn't ready to get out of my comfort zone. I am now. You're the only one that I trust to guide me because you're the only totally. one who back then, right? Yeah. I keep thinking people pleasing is not a sustainable business strategy. <laughs> yeah. The sales version of that is sales is not a place to get your emotional acceptance needs met. Right? Yeah. That, that's the sales equivalent of that. Like if you're if you're going out trying to be best friend with all your prospects, you're going to get hammered out there because you're going to be making all kinds of bad decisions. Right? Mm -hmm. are we truth tellers are we not truth tellers? And the more you value somebody, the more you should tell them the truth. And for anybody out there that's listening to this, that's buying something. You are torturing salespeople when you don't tell them no to be polite. You're much better off saying, here's why I don't think we're fit, but thank you. And you'll see a lot of them will thank you for your honesty in that because you've moved yourself out of the maybe zone into yes or no. And at least they know where they stand. Just tell the truth. It's so much easier to remember anyway at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. 
Okay, so I want to circle back to something we talked about really earlier because this conversation is bringing up the word fulfillment for me. And so I would love for the both of you to explain how you, what are the things that need to happen in your business for you to feel fulfilled? Like all of this is about building a business that serves you. But like what you were just talking about, Julian, about needing to have the right conversations or aligning with the right people, like these things add to your like fulfillment list, right? But to help people who may not be understanding how a business could actually serve them, I think giving concrete examples as to what fulfills each of you in your business would be really helpful. Totally. I also just want to be cognizant of time. So I think if we keep do some bullet points uh, and then wrap up. Um, But I don't know, Julian, did you have um, thoughts on this one? It's a really interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. (laughs) It's just funny in context of what we're talking about. I think, look, there's nothing. Yes, there's a certain amount of fulfillment in getting an invoice paid, right? Especially taking a risk and charging a little bit more and having a client go, yep, we get value out of that. That's great. You know, that's awesome. To me, there's nothing more fulfilling than even when I'm hired by the company and not the individual rep, when an individual sales rep reaches out to me at some point and says, oh my God, here's where I was. Here's what I did with what you taught me. Here's how well it's worked and how much it's changed. For me, that's the ultimate fulfillment. It it sounds corny, but it's so true. My feet don't touch the ground on days where I get emails like that. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm on a different plane. And I write back to those people and say, thank you for sharing that with me. You've got no idea how much it makes my day to hear that you were able to have the same kind of epiphanies that I was able to have because I was in your seat at some point. I was dealing with that stuff. I know what it's like. And I I love that you got over that hurdle, right? And, And that I was even a small part of that. Huge to me, right? I love that. I would definitely echo what Julian said. I think the thing that I would add is I notice that when I feel most fulfilled, it's those situations and those conversations in which I lose almost like I lose a sense of myself because I'm so focused on what I'm doing and I'm so focused on the other person and I'm so focused on supporting them in seeing something or supporting them in moving forward. And so I think there's there's an energy to that. I always liken it to this idea of I'm a big improviser and I'm like, man, if I can set up my day so it just feels like I'm doing improv all day, it's, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm literally done because then I just get to play. I get to play and co-create with people. And the energy of that for me is beautiful. So that's what I'd say. How about you, Veronica? So there's a lot because I've been thinking about this a lot, but I think the biggest thing, especially building a business that serves me because it's the topic we're talking about, is to be seen, heard, and accepted for exactly who I am, like 100% me, by the people that I work with as clients or as friends or as teammates and team members. It's like to be accepted for just being my absolutely unapologetic kinky self who loves puns and alliterations and all that stuff and who loves to eat. There's no better fulfillment. I, I am accepted for just being me. And I don't have to like achieve something to be liked or wanted. I love that too. And not for nothing, I also like the fact that you paired up puns and loving to eat together in the same category. This is so, so quite clearly, if we're ever in the same town, we're going to figure out like what restaurant we're going to and telling bad jokes throughout the, uh, the course of the evening because, or bad puns rather, because I, I just love that pairing, right? And I don't think that's unusual. I think most human beings ultimately yearn for acceptance. That's, you know, that's why people join groups. That's why. Human beings are inherently social animals, which is challenging in the era of COVID where we're all sitting instead of doing this like in a room together where we're all sitting, you know, in our isolated little pods on microphones through an internet connection. But this, this is why this stuff is so important. These conversations are so important because it's, that's, 
that social validation of what we believe and finding other people that match core beliefs with us that's so empowering and fulfilling. Very much so. Well, y'all, this has been an awesome conversation. I am definitely leaving feeling elevated uh, and energized from this. A couple of things. I will put Veronica and Julian's contact info in the text of this post. So please go check them out. Please go connect with them. They're both incredible, amazing people. If you're watching this via replay, we'd love to hear from you as well. Anything that you took from this highlights, you know, key moments, ahas, realizations, that sort of thing. But Julian, Veronica, you know, thank you all so much for, for being here, sharing your energy, sharing your insight. It was, uh, it was a really, really good time. Thanks for organizing this, Hayden. This was great. Yeah, I had such a fun time. Thank you. 100%. We'll have to do it again. Amazing. Well, y'all have a great rest of your week and uh, we'll talk super soon. We'll talk soon. Yeah.